Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast. I am Patrick Macias, the author of Tokyo Scope, the Japanese cult film companion. And I'm Matt Alt, the author of Pure Invention, How Japan Made the Modern World, and its associated newsletter. Welcome, everybody, to 2024. Is this the year we make contact, or is that like one of the previous years that we've been doing this podcast on? No, it's the year that a boy and his dog is set in. A boy and his dog. A film that has become a cult legend. Right now I'm hungry and I want to get laid. That's what you always say. You go find a chick and I'll hustle us up some food. I can't do good work when I'm hungry. You ain't pulling that crap on me again. And you can shove that part about how you lost the ability to hunt for food when you learned how to talk. No food, no females. After World War IV, your dog will tell you what to do. How to laugh. How to love. How and who what was the tagline of that like a mildly kinky what was it like a tale of a okay it was such a it was such a 70s tagline do you remember what it is the tagline is the year is 2024 a future you'll probably live to see i like that probably (laughs) well we made it we did it and if you're listening to this you did it too good job we made it to the post-apocalyptic wasteland with our psychic dogs in search of food and females because that's that's exactly what this year needs no actually the tagline was longer than that wasn't there wasn't the word kinky in it or am i just being weird that i'm remembering the word kinky being in it an r-rated rather kinky tale of survival (laughs) they didn't spell tail t-a-i-l though a boy and his dog get it get it oh i get it i thought it was like one of those furry movies you mean like an actual dog well that's fine too it's all good as far as i'm concerned it's all good in the hood it is all good in the hood and actually that brings us to our main topic discussion which is you know i did a roundup on my newsletter pure invention the newsletter at blog.pureinventionbook.com about the kind of things that happened with regards to japanese pop culture over the course of 2023 and it was actually pretty inspiring uh you know because for years people have been comparing Japan to Korea, usually unfavorably, and saying, oh man, look, Japan used to be the king, and now look, Korea's beating it. Oh, you're, you know, you're a loser, Japan. And I've I've number one, even even in the midst of that, I've never liked those kind of comparative things. It's like, you know, it's like comparing one artist to another. You know, what what are you using as the yardstick? It's like comparing Votoms to Dogram. You just shouldn't do it. They're different things. Not even once. Not even once. Uh and now in over the course of 2023. Japan like reemerged as this as this cultural superpower. I mean the 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 heights that it reached are, are pretty impressive, and they're on every front. Like Yoasobi, the Japanese J-pop group that I don't listen to, uh, did I just say that or think it hit number one on the Billboard Global Chart? You know, um, which is like a huge thing for Japanese pop music because it's so rare that Japanese songs chart outside of Japan. Of course, you had the release of all of these big films like The Boy and His Heron and or The Boy and the heron excuse me god i hate that title it is such it is such a bad title is the boy and the heron a sequel to a boy and his dog yes and the subtitle is an animated comma rather kinky exploration of human avian no actually it's a different movie i was watching something else i, I i'm not gonna let's not go there but anyway so that like those two films like one animated and one live action just you know blew up at the box offices abroad like every country around the world one godzilla minus one is being reviewed in insane places like Bill Buckley's The National Review. What, 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 when does this ever happen? When does the National Review, like the standard for con- like angry conservative 
political commentary suddenly start reviewing kaiju films. Like, it just doesn't happen, you know? And then earlier this year, you had the whole, you know, the, the Super Mario Brothers, the movie gets, a you know, makes a billion dollars in box office around the world. Don't forget One Piece. Don't forget the One Piece live action series oh, on Netflix. Oh, One Piece? Yes. I, I loved I loved his work on Netflix. Uh, yeah, One Piece. Huge. Absolutely huge. Huge to the point that rumor has it, Netflix has shifted its head of Asian development from Seoul back to Tokyo. And, you know, that's a big deal because for a couple of years there, as you remember, you know, you had, what, Squid Game and all of these huge, huge hits coming out of Korea. And it looked like, wow, Korea was really, you know, destroying uh, Japan when it came to the pop cultural front on, uh, you know, on the, on the video. Is that, is, are those OVAs? Is, is Netflix direct to video? Is that what it is? An original video animation? But now Japan is on top again. It just goes to show you how cyclical this stuff is and how silly it is to compare one nation's pop culture to another in this kind of zero-sum way. But not to be that guy, Matt, but I did have some thoughts on this subject. Please. Fun fact, no creatives in Japan have any money whatsoever. <laughs> You talk to any film producer here, no one has any money. Even Godzilla Minus One was like made with like change they found like in a sofa somewhere. Yes. So yes. that's not good. Also, number two, I am working for a film festival right now and screening films from all over the world. I don't want to be the guy to compare, but Korean films are wiping the floor right. with Japanese right. films right now. Like literally, they have incredibly high production values and they're not afraid to get dark. I mean, they're filled with like dead babies, incest, and like a lot of murder. They remind me of where Japanese films were at like 20 years ago, like with right. Battle Royale and those Takashi Miike movies. Like they're killing it, like in the short film space, in the narrative film space. Like I don't know what they're putting in the sauce over there, but it is like, I wish Japan was making those kind of films again. I wish yeah, they had create the creativity and they're not i mean every now and then a blockbuster production gets loose like a miyazaki or like a godzilla these kind of like those are already huge well-known creators huge well-known ip one piece godzilla ghibli but i mean where are the new voices matt that's what i'm asking that's what our listeners want to know too, Patrick. But actually, it's it's funny you bring this up because the the corollary to what I just said about how Japan's pop cultural star is on the rise is that nobody in Japan had any input into that. It's it's completely you know Japan, especially on the pop cultural front, always succeeds in spite of itself, <laughs> not because of itself. You know what I mean? It's not like there's any orchestrated campaign to target the West. It's not like you know there's any kind of person pulling the strings behind. There's it's not like there's any ambition even to do that here. It's that people keep making stuff. And sometimes I think the world comes back around to uh, enjoying what Japan is making at that moment, rather than it being like a true ascendance. Like, look, we have synthesized what the world wants and made this amazing thing, if that makes sense. Or does it? Well, they tried that. Wasn't it called Cool Japan? Cool Japan. Yeah, that incredibly successful governmental campaign with absolutely nothing to show for it. Actually, that's, not, that's, that's way too <laughs> brutal. There, are, there, does, there were some things to show for it but there was an nhk tv show called cool japan to be fair well this is the whole thing right so pop culture is a cornerstone of soft power which is the corollary to hard power right hard power is like military diplomatic like economic it's a coercive force like you can say hey do what we want or we're going to send our tanks into your country or we're going to like boycott you or we're going to you know blockade you or do all sorts of things that's hard power we force somebody soft power is more of a passive attribute it's like a kind of gross national charisma and a you can't really leverage it it just kind of predisposes people to like you and you you certainly can't buy it 
like any more than you can buy charisma in real life, you know? So governmental programs attempting to kind of increase it don't really make a lot of sense because the cream rises to the top in the entertainment world. It's not like if you suddenly start pumping a bunch of money into some also ran band or or some, you know, crappy movie nobody cares about that it's suddenly going to be a massive hit. Um, it doesn't work that way, Patrick. We, we live in interesting times, I think, is, is the way we might put this. But it also kind of echoes the turn of the 20th century when there was like everybody was saying, oh, Japan, it's like animus. They're going to be big. And, you know, Quentin Tarantino is incorporating anime into his movies and like crossovers. And it seemed like anime was going to be the next big thing. And then what happened, Patrick? What happened? Um, the manga bubble burst. Maybe the home video market kind of burst there for a while, too. And it kind of went, I wouldn't say it went away. It just, uh, I don't I don't know what people were expecting. I mean, Everyone got the the bad live action Ghost in the Shell movie they deserved. We all got these like kind of terrible products of it, but we got Keanu Reeves in the Forty Seven Ronin. Like I don't know who oh, wanted man, these God, things. I forgot that. Yes, we did get Keanu Reeves in the point, but we didn't get him and Leonardo DiCaprio in the long rumored Akira live action adaptation from the nineties. Maybe thanks to AI, we can we can create that film and make it the film that it always should have been. I don't know. We can do the Keanu Reeves Cowboy Bebop movie or something like that, or the My the Psychic Girl movie starring when. Nona Ryder directed by Tim Burton. That was not happening. Did that really ha- was that really on somebody's slate? That was long 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 rumored in development for a long time. Oh man, I got I can't even imagine Tim Burton handling that with any kind of subtlety at all whatsoever. With like a 30-year-old Winona Ryder playing like a a Japanese like high school girl, like I don't know how it would have worked. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's it's just it's going to be interesting to see how things play out over the course of this year, but I I think one thing is always constant in this, and that is Japan is never in control of its own destiny when it comes to pop culture. I think things like, you know, the boy and the heron and especially Godzilla minus one hitting big globally come as much of a surprise to their creators as they do to, you know, their distributors and and everybody else. I think there are cases of content hitting at just the right moment, maybe, you know, the world needed a good Godzilla movie. Uh, The world needed uh, like an animated series that was wasn't 100% pure pubescent adolescent angst. Or something that didn't require an enormous amount of backstory to get into, right? Like, you know, you can't go to like the Konosuba movie and not know what the heck is going on if you haven't watched all the previous episodes of it, Yes, which was was the shocking thing about the uh, Kimetsu no Yaiba, Demon Slayer, colon, what was it? Like Mystery Train, colon, Soul Train, colon, you know, biggest hit of the year uh, 2020. You, You literally couldn't make heads or tails over that film unless you'd watched 15 hours of an anime series. And it still turned out to be the biggest film on the planet, admittedly when the entire planet was locked down because of a viral apocalypse, but it, it was, it was, it was really big. So, or am I making, or am I saying 20, I think it was actually 2021, wasn't it? Whatever the case is, uh, Kimetsu no Yaiba. Remember that? Remember that being a big deal for a couple years there? I'm putting all my money on the Chainsaw Man movie. I'm, I'm going to bet big on it and buy all the merchandise. And I like that series. Like it's, it's not, it, it's funny. It's like, it's so obviously not for me. You, you need to be like most anime. I think you need to be 14 years old to to truly appreciate it. And I say that with with respect. I don't mean that as a diss. Uh, but I, I love it. It's like it's the most, it's probably the most degenerate thing to come out in recent memory. And I I hope it's it's sort of like a kind of Urotsuki doji for families, maybe. I, don't I like it because at least it has an edge. At least it feels like this is not suitable for a lot of people. It, it feels like it's a contaminant. It's gonna ruin people's right. minds with all the sex and violence, which is a good thing. I mean, you look at things like that are so popular, people coming to Japan 
around just to shop at the Pokemon store, just to shop at the Nintendo store. Like it's the most edgeless corporate children's entertainment that's like pushing the Japanese pop culture boat forward right now. Where is the danger? Where is the excitement? Where is the transgression? Exactly. When I was a kid, but it's it's actually true though, because I think anime fandom now is much less about finding your tribe like it was back when, you know, it was more of a subculture and it was more difficult to find stuff. And it's more now about assembling a kind of online identity through your consumption of very specific anime products, which is why things like anime pilgrimages are such a big deal. Like you couldn't do an anime pilgrimage, you know, back when we were anime fans because Macross Island didn't exist. I'm sorry, Patrick. I'm really, really sorry. Macross Island didn't exist. The Yamato didn't exist. Like these were flights of fancy and fantasy that were kind of, we went through the monolith beyond human imagination, blah, blah, blah. Now they're like, you know, you get these, these Makoto Shinkai films that are set in a Tokyo so realistic that you can actually practically order Starbucks from the actual shop that's being portrayed in there while you're watching the film. I I don't know how I feel about that. I liked my anime to be weird and wild and completely unhinged from any kind of reality. And I think maybe Chainsaw Man comes closest to that of recent stuff that I've seen. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, uh, goodbye 2023. Hello 2024. And I have to say, Matt, the last 72 hours here in Japan have been kind of like getting kicked repeatedly in the nuts. It's been God. a bit of a wild ride. As what's happening, as uh, the as the Japanese uh, English phrase goes, what the hell is going on? This has been a really bad couple first days to start. Is this the worst start to a new year ever? It's got to be pretty close. Let's tick, let's tick off what's happened. Well, you know, New Year's isn't over until you're sober. And that wasn't the case for me on New Year's Day. I was just sitting around doing what I normally do to celebrate the new year, which is like drinking and playing violent video games <laughs> at around four o'clock. And then the room starts shaking a little bit. It's like not a big quake here in Tokyo, but like it, I'm rocking back and forth. And it's going on like a long time. And I'm like, huh, okay. And then I start getting some pings from some friends and family going, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Right. And I turn on the news and there's apparently been a seven point five magnitude quake yes. on the other side of the country over there like in Ishikawa and Noto. Yeah, Noto it's a Noto Peninsula. It's a kind of rural area. It's on the west coast of Japan. Uh Ishikawa, Niigata, that sort of area. Um and it's interesting. So you actually felt it. We I wasn't in Japan at the time. I was in the States. So I kind of I got to experience this uh from a from a different perspective, which I'll share in a minute. But I heard from our cab driver when we were coming back from Haneda Airport, another topic of discussion for later, you really did feel it here. So were you were like and I don't mean this as a joke. Were you scared? Because like the, I get kind of nervous when the when the earthquakes go on for a long time. To me, that's like, uh oh, you know, when it goes on for more than a few seconds. How did you feel? I would say it was it was under a minute, uh, not very strong. Nothing was rattling. Like that, the house definitely rattles when there's a quake, right? Uh, you know, like a normal well, I would call it like a normal earthquake here in Tokyo. But this felt like it was far away. My danger signals were not going off. I wasn't sending up the bat signal or anything. until I turned on the TV and started right. seeing like the roads like shattered and like buildings knocked over and like giant fires because <laughs> it was like a full on 311 flashback in terms yes. of just like the disaster footage on TV in hard rotation. And it, it's bad. Like like so far, I believe the casualty count is 57 deaths. 
and many, many, many people displaced from their homes. It's a kind of inaccessible, I don't want to say inaccessible, but it's a rural area. And it sounds like they're having a hard time getting rescue crews and things out there, which again, this is something that's going to play into the next topic that we're going to be talking about. And it, it's a tragedy. It, it's really bad. It's really sad this happened. I mean, it would be sad if this happened at any time, but ha- coming on the, you know, the first of the year, it's just totally shocking. New Year's Day. Yeah. New Year's Day. Not yeah. So I w- when I was in the States, I was in the States when this happened and I woke up you know, because it happened in the evening Japan time, correct? It was about four-ish, about, yeah, 4 p.m.-ish. So, you know, like I come downstairs, I'm staying at my parents' house and my parents are like, you know, oh my God, is Japan okay? Is Japan okay? And I'm thinking to myself, oh no, like what what just happened? Click on the CNN and they're just like going at this. And it was a total, total flashback to me from 311 where there's this almost, I hate to say it, this glee on the the part of the Western mass media for like, oh yes, we have something that we can brand as a crisis and and kind of focus on it for a while. And I, I understand that it, it is, you know, and, I'm, and I appreciate the foreign mass media covering this stuff because it deserves to be covered. But like CNN starts running, at first they're just using like NHK's footage and NHK's like, like video, what do you want to call them? Those like title cards where like they're showing like the map of Japan, the West Coast is affected. There's like a big arrow pointing at it. You know, it's, it's literally taken off NHK. So you can see the map of Japan with this big red line running down down the West Coast and said, tsunami coming, you know, please evacuate. It's scary stuff. Within like two minutes, CNN had like replaced that with their own card. All of Japan is stained crimson blood red and it just says massive earthquake hits Japan. And so suddenly, you know, of course, if you sit there and listen to the nuance, you realize that this is in Ishikawa, but nobody's doing anything to explain how far away it is from Tokyo or any major city. Nobody's doing any, you know, effort to contextualize this. And I start getting this flood of emails, phone calls, like everything. People are like, oh my God, are you okay? Are you okay? You know, we saw what happened. And I'm like, it happened out in the countryside. It's terrible stuff. But like, why is CNN using this image showing like all of Japan? It's like, it's like Japan sinks, right? And I was like, God. So I spent like a bunch of time telling people and, you know, to their credit, they actually had people like knowledgeable people on. Like I saw Motoko Rich from the New York Times is on there. Hanako Montgomery, ex of Vice and now uh, with CNN uh, working directly for CNN was on there talking. So they have like Japanese voices talking about what's happening. Do they have a chef from the Shogun Steakhouse? You know, literally. So then then they're cutting to people like that as, as these people. People, you you can tell like the producers are working the phones and they're getting like these people from England and people from like other countries. And I'm like, why are these people weighing in about this rural earthquake in Japan? And all of a sudden, like nuclear, what's going on with the nuclear plants? And that is never that, you know, I understand why the mind goes there, but it was just, it was played up into this like all Japan, like Japan is destroyed kind of thing instead of the nuance of saying it's just this one little part of Japan. And it was kind of a playback of 311, a little frustrating to see that. I am really glad you did didn't, you know, that you didn't have anything bad happen to you or yours. Yeah, nothing bad happened. You know, very, very, you know, literally, and I don't mean this in any sarcastic way, thoughts and, you know, and prayers and whatever else we can do for the people who are stuck up there. But, you know, every time something like this happens, watching how the Western mass media handles, it just makes my blood boil. And especially having been part of it back in 311, um, seen it from the inside a little bit. Well, they said like things could have been a lot worse, but apparently Japan is uh, pretty good at preparing for disasters and 
and and going into action when stuff hits the fan. But yeah, there's like I think up to like thirty thousand people in shelters as yes. of today. So it's a it's a bad scene. Well, I think one of the the big reasons that Japan makes it through these situations as well as they do, like you say, it's the preparation. Like you say, it's like they have kind of systems in place. It's that people actually. I, I don't want to say they don't panic because it's human nature to panic when like the f- your ground is shaking beneath your feet. But they're, they like society doesn't fall apart when there is a problem like this, like it might in other places. And there's a lot of kind of people listening and like watching to, to see, you know, to waiting for direction instead of just taking unilateral, you know, action on their own. And that played into a second disaster that, that happened one day later, right? Yeah, this was January 2nd, I guess at around 6 p.m. Japan time. Yeah. Japan Airlines, hundreds survive after plane bursts into flames on Tokyo runway. A Japan Airlines plane burst into flames after a collision with a smaller Coast Guard aircraft on the runway at Tokyo's Haneda Airport. All 379 passengers and crew on board were evacuated, but five of the six crew on the Coast Guard plane died, police said. Flames engulfed the airliner after it landed, skidding on the blazing runway. Fire crews spent hours dousing the blaze. Air safety experts have praised the crew for safely evacuating all the passengers. If I might just say something, we landed at Haneda less than 30 minutes before this happened. Our flight actually took off early and came in early. So it's it's kind of frightening to me to think about what might have happened if we had landed on time or or close to it or been delayed, which happens a lot when you're flying American carriers. Um, but scary, scary stuff. Did you did you I'm sure you saw the footage on TV, right? I had some loved ones flying in back from America around the same time. And I turn on the TV, just like, you know, whatever I'm doing in between, you know, violent video games. And there's this plane bursting into flames at the airport. And it takes me a second to realize my buddies are coming in to Narita. So they're coming in at a different airport a couple hours later. But still, I'm going like, wow, man, no one on that plane could have survived that. Right. Yeah. It looked terrible, didn't it? That plane burst into flames. Like, Yeah, it looked really, really bad. But no fatalities on the passenger plane. So to, to set this up, I just read the... Uh, the newspaper headlines in Japan this morning, uh, it's it's the fourth today. And so they, there's a little bit more insight into what happened, which is there was a Coast Guard, it's called a Dash 8. It's like a, a small propeller plane. And it's a, it's basically, a, it, it's, it's a civilian plane being used by the Coast Guard. And it was filled with supplies to take to the earthquake-stricken areas in Ishikawa. So it's, it's running this like kind of desperately needed uh, relief, you know, supply mission. These guys are all, you know, these are good guys. They're like working you know, they're, they're doing their best to help in a terrible situation. It sounds like it's not common for the Coast Guard to be using the Haneda runways. And the pilot of the Coast Guard plane either misheard or or didn't understand or just made a mistake. And he was not, he did not have clearance to be on that runway where he was. He pulled out onto the runway. And then this is like minute, like moments before a gigantic jumbo jet lands right on top of them. And that's, that's why if you watch the footage, the explosion doesn't happen until they're on the ground. It's not like the plane is on fire when it's landing. It explodes when it hits the ground because it's hitting a fairly large plane. It's like it, it's hitting it when it lands. So that's that's what happened there. And it's a shame because all of those rescue workers died. Uh, but like you said, everybody made it off the JAL flight. And they're crediting that to like a whole bunch of stuff, you know, materials technology, because planes are designed to like not burn quickly. And like the training of the staff, the pilot had 12,000 hours of flight experience 
experience. This is like a super veteran. Jal has like a huge training program with like, they actually have a simulator. It's like the Kobayashi Maru where like they pump in smoke and there's literal, like they'll actually, you know, they're using employees to play. The, it's it's like a, a, like a fuselage on the ground, obviously. It's like a real life escape game. Is that what they it call is? It is. No, basically. And it was, there's actually a video of this online. I'll have to give you the link to it so you can put it on. But like, you know, it's, it's obviously all the, the stewardesses take turns being stewardesses or being, you know, the people in the aisles and they actually pipe in like screams, like people like freaking out. They turn off the lights, you know, they turn off the electricity. They have like the stewardesses who are playing the role of the passengers, like some of them freak out and do the wrong thing. And so like they go through all these training scenarios and it really played paid off here because the plane lost all of its electronics. They didn't, they couldn't use the PA system. They had to pull out these like bullhorns and basically direct the, the passengers while flames are licking up outside the plane. Everybody sits there and listens to them because they had like the authority in their voices to pull this off. It's amazing. Everybody made it off that plane. There's a lot of footage that's coming out that people took on their cameras of like the cabin filling with smoke and then like going down the inflatable slide and all that kind of stuff. And people are just like hanging out, you know, making sure everyone's okay. But like at any second, that plane could have exploded. I mean, jet fuel, my God. Oh, for sure. And actually the footage of the, like there's, there's photographs of people like going down the slide and running away. And I was kind of shocked by how much it actually looks like, you know, this illustrations on the uh, safety cards they give you in the plane. I'm like, wow, the slides really work. People really do, you know, help each other off at the bottom and run the hell away from that. But I don't know this because we were already out of the airport by that point, but they must, it must have shut down uh, Haneda. I'm sure they were diverting flights to Narita. It's lucky Narita's there. It's only like, I don't know how many miles away or kilometers away it is. It's pretty close for a plane. So it's easy to divert there. Um, And they were able to kind of get other aircraft there because the runway was pretty unusable, I'm sure, uh, after that plane hit. So is my TV. I mean, for the last three days, it's been just like nonstop disaster porn and heavy rotation here, just like constantly like shifting between earthquake footage and then like the plane exploding into flame footage and then the Godzilla versus McDonald's commercials. It's like, (laughs) it's kind of triggering my anxiety a little bit. Okay. So we have 2024 day one and we have 2024 day two. And then late at night on 2024 day three, we have another horrific incident. Like it's literally we're three for three. Tell us about this. Here's the headline. Woman arrested after slashing four men in train at Tokyo's Akihabara station. Police arrested a woman who injured four passengers with a knife inside a train that had stopped at Tokyo's Akihabara station late Wednesday, Japanese media reported. Police rushed to the scene at around 11 p.m. after a report that a woman was brandishing a knife on the train. Four men were stabbed in the back and arms and taken to a hospital, NHK Public Television reported. Police arrested the attacker, identified only as a woman in her 20s, on suspicion of attempted murder. What is it with Akihabara and stabbings? Like, you'll remember there was, of course, the Akihabara stabbing of, what was that, 2010? 2007? Yeah, something like that. When that that guy got out of his car and just randomly, he like, he drove his car into a crowd and started stabbing people. He later got the death penalty, which was carried out for, for that really heinous crime. But here we have another stabbing in Akihabara, albeit on the train. So I don't know whether, like, the, the, the train was just stopped at Akihabara. I'm not exactly sure whether she got on, but she she 
looks like a average Japanese 20 something woman in a big, you know, in a, in a white kind of overcoat sort of thing. I, nobody knows what happened here, why she did this. Are there mug shots? Not yet. I saw a video of a cops kind of corralling her on the train and, and pulling her off. We, don't, we just don't know what, what the motive for this was. Was she attacked? Was she just, you know, out of her mind for some reason or another? But four people were injured and uh, they're in the hospital now. And it's pretty scary stuff. This doesn't really happen a lot on Japanese trains. You don't see a lot of young women in their early 20s doing like public stabbing. So that is definitely something to uh, question. I mean, that yeah. definitely raises some questions in my mind. What the heck is going on? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we're, we're going to hear more about this in the days to come. You know, it was kind of localized sort of thing, a very, uh, you know, out of the blue sort of thing. But uh, it's, you know, it's scary to have these things. They say that tragedies happen in threes. I guess if, if one is inclined to believe that sort of superstitious thing, that is the third one. I am hoping that today, January 4th, passes very, very quietly. Yeah, it's been a little too much rock and roll for me, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like, I'm just, I'm completely jet lagged. There was a lot of family drama going on at home, just, you know, the usual stuff. And it's it's just like, wow, I, I come back and it's like nonstop, bam, 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 all of these crazy things happening. Hopefully, you know, Japan is getting its, for lack of a better word, bad luck out of the way early on. I don't know. It's just, it's it's very, you know, it's a lot of sadness happening here, a lot of badness. Uh, and I hope it stops. Please, if any of the uh, various 8 million kami uh, of, of native Japanese uh, belief and lore are listening, please, please intervene. Give us a break, man. <laughs> Give us a break, please. Seriously. How can we recoup, Matt? That's my question. Just like Mr. T used to say, you know, and I basically my entire philosophy in life is based on that one video that Mr. T made. What was the title of it? Mr. T's Be Somebody or Be Somebody's Fool. You know me? Of course you do. That's because I'm famous. But even before I was famous, I was still somebody. And I got respect. See, you don't have to be famous to get respect. You just have to be somebody. And that means being confident in who you are, being willing to take chances and risks falling on your face. Because that's the only way you're going to learn. And that's what I'm here for, to help you be somebody. Because if you're not somebody, then you're going to be somebody's fool. Yes, exactly. Recouping, Patrick, recouping is just one segment of that Bible-length treatise on not being somebody's fool. Uh, and it's, it's helped me in many ways. Well, basically, my entire adult persona is based on a combination of that video and the McGruff the Crime Dog uh <laughs> <laughs> Don't Say No to Drugs album. Uh, I didn't ever say no to drugs, but I appreciate that McGruff is kind of cheering for me to perhaps not use them and stop using them. There is help available for people who have a problem with cocaine or crack addiction. Have them call 1-800-COCAINE for advice. And if someone ever offers you crack or cocaine, be smart. Just say no. Because nobody's needing that crack and cocaine. There's terrible trouble behind it And sooner or later you're burning your brain Making a mess of your mind Cause nobody's needing that crack and cocaine it's, So it's been a crazy 2024, but... 
you know, we're going to be here to keep, uh, you know, reporting on happenings that happen uh, in Japan over the course of, there are another, I believe, what, 361 days in the year, uh, <laughs> ripe with potential. Minus one. Are we at minus three yet, Matt? Is this Godzilla minus three? It's, it's 2024 minus one. It's what it feels like. I, as I said in the beginning, you know, I, I think in general, Japan is, is in an interesting place, poised to be able to make an even bigger mark on the world stage than it has been uh, in, in years leading up to this with its pop culture, with its entertainment, with its culture. And I, for one, am very interested to see how it plays out. And how about you, Patrick? What are your what are your dreams for 2024? I want to hear about this. Um, the Shogun remake on Disney Plus, I'm really hoping there's some beheadings and some urination in that, okay? It did begin with a public urination. Didn't like Toshiomi Fune pee on, on Richard Chamberlain? That literally happened, didn't it? Or am I am I misremembering this? We should do an episode just on Shogun because I know the remake is going to be a big hit and everyone's going to be turning Japanese and going to the Shogun Steakhouse like they were in 1980. Or you could even say a Shogun Warrior, perhaps. I feel like a Shogun Warrior after the last couple of days, to be honest with you, Matt. I, I really think that's a great idea. And and that this was completely spontaneous. I wasn't even thinking of doing this, but we should do a whole Shogun episode because James Clavell's book is honest to God awesome. James Clavell is a really interesting person. The 1970, was it nine? 80. Oh, was it 80? Okay, so this is like early prestige TV. And I remember like kind of catching it in snippets when I was a kid. Amazing stuff. It, it Disney, Disney, right? I, I don't know whether I believe Disney has the mojo to kind of, you know, recreate, recapture this lightning in a bottle. If they can make it more diverse and get rid of all the white people and have like a strong female lead as the Shogun, then I think it'll be very Disney-rific. Well, did you see it stars Duke Sinatra? of Message from Space fame. I think that's his last movie, right? It was Message from Space and then this. What is it? If Hiroyuki Sonata is allowed to rename himself Duke Sonata, what are what are our na- nicknames? We need we need better. I don't like Patrick and Matt anymore. We need personas. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, McGruff? McGruff is my fursona, Patrick. I, I Dibs. Dibs. You can't have him. Uh, Patrick Mario Kart Racing Macias or something like that? I don't know. Can I just... I, I just want to end this with a question. What is under McGruff's trench coat? Yeah, we'll leave that thought with you for our final image of the show. And encourage you all to come back next week with a new episode of Pure Tokyo Scope Podcast is available for your listening pleasure. But in the meantime, thanks for listening to this one. Please continue to spread the word. Follow us and like us on whatever is left of social media by this time next week. See you next time. Bye. See you next time.